0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. We have been working through this Modern Family series, and we're about halfway through. Uh, Boy, what a series this has been. Oh my gosh. And... uh, Today, what we want to do is think about modern family in light of some of the challenges that are coming in in our culture. Uh, What is God's vision for biblical relationships? Because that's always going to be our foundation, is what is the biblical pattern that comes in the name of Jesus Christ? So when I think about this, one of the things, well, if you get the Oregonian, on Tuesday of this past week, this was one of the stories in there, right after the Supreme Court had made their decision not to hear several cases, and the result was that it ended up affirming gay marriage in several states because of the judicial process. And you can see the maps are not real clear there, but you can kind of get the point. The first map there is 2004, and we've got two states with, that recognize uh, gay domestic partnerships kind of thing. And you can see the progress as it goes across the maps. Then 2014, after Monday's decisions, or lack of decisions, you can see the purple there is places where gay marriage is now legal, including our state. Uh, yellow is where it soon will be once the Supreme Court non-decision is worked out. And there are several, there's a couple that are still green where it's domestic partnerships. And you can see the trend that's happened in the past 10 years to move toward affirming gay marriage and all the things related to that. It's been an enormous, enormous, enormous acceptance in our culture. That's just, I mean, it's, it, there's probably never been a, a change as quickly as this is happening. I, here in Portland, uh, Pride Day, uh, downtown's March. This was this year's March. And you see here at the front, uh, Jesus equals love, equality. Uh, I see your true colors and they are beautiful, the sign the woman is holding. Mormons. Marriage equality. There was a Catholic group as well, and a number of great gay Christians uh, marching in Pride Day here in our city this week. Book just came out. Uh, Matthew Vines. There's an incredible video on YouTube, about an hour and 15 minutes, very, very, very powerful. And he's arguing, God in the gay Christian. He's arguing the biblical case for support of same-sex relationship. And his basic idea. I mean, simple form, is the idea that the Bible is against gay marriage is a late, like in the last century or so, imposition, distortion of the message of Scripture. Now, he's saying adultery and that court of stuff is still wrong, but he's arguing very strongly uh, for gay marriage as biblical. In the small print that you can't see there, Rachel Held Evans, a very prolific young Uh, blogger says this this book is a game changer winsome accessible and carefully researched every page is brought to life by the author's clear love for scripture and deep persistent faith Matthew Vines emerges as one of my generation's most important Christian leaders arguing that gay marriage is something the Bible affirms not condemns and what I want to do today in a two-part message Uh, I want to look at what does the Bible say about sexuality in particular homosexuality uh, because there is a message and we need to put it in context and then next week Jay will be up here and he will talk about uh, what that means to live effectively as a Christian in this environment and we're really strongly encouraging you to text in your questions or email them in the numbers on your sermon notes there uh, because we want to deal with the questions that you are raising in this very uh, upfront headline every day area. So let's think about this. God's vision for biblical relationships. By the way, there's a lot of stuff up here. Way more than you note takers can get. So this PowerPoint is on the website. It'll be there this afternoon and you can peruse to your heart's content or you can email me and I'll give you more stuff. There are some resources back on the back uh, including a, a list of resources and that resource has got a lot of links in it will also be on the website so a lot of places for you to do some further study if you're interested love to interact with you love to interact with you after the sermon jan i'll be up here uh, so yeah talk, we're here to talk this is genesis chapter one god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky over livestock and all the wild animals over the creatures that move on the ground he says image of God, so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female, he created them and what we see here all persons, God's attitude every single human being is image of God, every single human being, every single human being with dignity and value as person, human, deserving of respect and goodness everybody, everybody Everybody, Image of God and deserving of respect and value. And that's, that's the first message of scripture. The first message of scripture. No matter what kind of stuff you're into, respect, value, goodness, dignity of every single human being. Though that can be very difficult sometimes, of course. A second point. Hebrews chapter 10, one of a number of passages, but this one is a striking one. Because God says here, if we deliberately keep on sinning after receiving knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Only a fearful expectation of judgment. So what's that saying? If we are touched by the grace of God and we say no to that and deliberately and persistently reject God's grace, no sacrifice, no religious ritual is going to make up for that. And God will take that very seriously. So we note here that God never overlooks sin. God never overlooks sin. And his judgment comes to those who persistently reject his grace. It's a message that goes all through Scripture. Dignity of value, yes. But if you reject God's grace, there is a consequence to that punishment. Genesis chapter 3, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. A serpent comes, deceives the woman, she eats the fruit. Adam joins her in that, and shame breaks out everywhere, disastrous. man and his wife heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What is God doing in the context of sin and what is God doing he's coming <laughs> he's coming with all the betrayal that that Eating the fruit represents God comes. What do people do? They hide. That's Adam and Eve, but that's all of us. And what does God do? He didn't come pouring out fire and brimstone. He comes and says, where are you? God comes and calls in a context of awesome betrayal and rebellion. This is the picture of our God. This is the picture of our God. The Bible, the whole Bible, is a story of God coming Caring, cleansing Broken and sinful people The whole story of the Bible Is about that And that's us So that's a background here What does the Bible say about sexuality? Genesis chapter 1 again God blessed them The man and the woman and said to them Be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it Now, how do you make babies? I don't have to explain too much here probably But God says the way you make babies is, what does he say about it? He says it's very good. It's very good. So what we're saying here is that sexuality is God's very good creation for human beings. Unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ has gotten a reputation of being anti-sex. I don't know where that comes from. I mean, I read the Bible. I've read the whole thing a number of times. I've studied it pretty carefully and God's real pro-sex as long as you follow God's design for it and what is sexuality it's a whole person bonding experience between a husband and a wife to express to confirm to deepen their marital intimacy it's a gift and a responsibility and it's good very good God says What is marriage? The definition we're using, biblical, is it's a publicly pledged, permanent, exclusive, covenantal union of one man and one woman. This is a biblical definition of marriage. It starts in Genesis and goes all the way through Scripture, that picture. And what it's also saying in Scripture about sexuality is that all sexual activity all sexual activity outside of marriage is porneia. It's a Greek word. We don't have any English word that serves quite that same function. And what word do we get from that that we use all the time? We get the word, what? Pornography from that, which is one particularly damaging form of sexual activity. That's corrosive to the relationships of marriage. And so what it's saying here is that if you indulge in porneia, the Bible says that defiles the person and also the gift of sex. On the pastoral side of my life, I spend a lot of time dealing with people who have been through pornea, sometime because of assault done to them, more often by sinful choices they have made out of all kinds of reasons, and I have to deal with the impact of that defiling impact on people. Pornea defiles. The world says it's great, but it's not. And the studies are really clear, we've referred to several of them, that said that if you want to be fulfilled sexually, enter into a biblical marriage and enjoy. Any other kind of stuff it ends up to brokenness and defilement and sadness. But we need to look here at, particularly, God and homosexuality. The, the concern is far larger. The major concern we have here for sexual purity is a, in heterosexual. That's where most of the sin and brokenness is. We're coming down to a more narrow piece. What about God and homosexuality? So Leviticus 18, God says this, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Some of the older translations say that is abomination. In Leviticus chapter 20, uh, he repeats that in a little different, this is in a context of all kinds of sin and most, much of it's sexual. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does to the woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They're to be put to death and the blood will be on their own hands. How come? Because they're choosing to enter into male-male sexual relations and that is detestable. It's one of a number of sins that in the Old Testament economy are deserving of death penalty. So what we're going to say here, biblically, is that God says Men having sex with men is a detestable act. Specifically, it's one of several that is associated with a death penalty. Uh, so it's a, it's a serious sin among the sins of the Old Testament. And but what it's also saying here let's come back here one this one is speaking of actions, not attractions. And that's a distinction that's hard to make, but it's essential to make. What God is condemning, what God is saying is detestable, what God is saying is worthy of death penalty in the Old Testament economy, is the action of male-male sexual relationships. It's not speaking about attractions. And I think this distinction is critical to make because in the context we all have attractions and desires They're messed up. And the fact that you've got messed up desires does not make you detestable. It does not make you subject to death penalty. It makes you a sinful human like all of us. If you choose to act on that desire, then that action is detestable. Now, can you control the actions that come out of your desires? Can you control the actions that come out of your desires? I have a lot of trouble with that. (laughs) I do. I do. I don't mean to say this is simple by any stretch of the imagination. Our desires are powerful and controlling in many areas. Compulsive behaviors are a real thing to struggle with. But, with the help of God, the power of the Spirit, the community of the Spirit, the help of professionals and pastors and friends, yes, you can control your desires. You can. You can. You can. Another point is, this is one of many sinful sexual acts that are connected to death penalty. It's not singled out. Bacon, good thing or bad thing? Yeah, absolutely. I was at Killer Burger last night. Yeah! yeah! Killer Burger, for those you uneducated, unenlightened, and deprived people, Killer Burger over on Sandy is the one I went to, and uh, every burger has bacon. And their lead burger is a peanut butter pickle bacon burger. Yes, yes, really, it's good. It's good, it really is. Now last night I didn't have that because I'd had it before. I had a killer burger. And uh, it, it was good too. But I think next time it'll probably be the peanut butter pickle. What does God say about bacon? He says what? Unclean, don't do it. Yeah, I see the big lip coming out. No! <laughs> How about shrimp? I love grilled shrimp. Love it, love it, love it. When the scissor open here on, on Burnside, that was a favorite place to go, and the grilled shrimp over there, I mean, just really great. What does God say about it? Unclean. No. Dang. How do we deal with this? Because, see, that's the same context... That says men and men having sex is a detestable. If now, what do we say about that? Galatians chapter three verse nineteen. It says the law was added to promise because of transgressions until what? The seed has come. What's the seed? Jesus. Has Jesus come? Yes. Can I eat bacon? Yes. <laughs> could I pray God's blessing over our food last night there at Killer Burger? Yes, yes. So I'm not, I can eat bacon, I can eat shrimp, and know I have God's blessing. Can I have sex with another man and have God's blessing? See, and that's, that's critical. We're not under the Mosaic Code. We're not under the Mosaic Code. We're not. But, this is Leviticus 19, part of the Mosaic Code, Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Have you heard that before somewhere? Who said that? Jesus. And what we think here, and what's important, is understand we're not in the Mosaic Code, but in the Mosaic Code are things that are much bigger than the Mosaic Code. They're part of the bigger biblical morality. The question is, is men having sex with men part of that bigger sexual morality or is that a part of just the Mosaic Code? Well, let's look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul, speaking after Pentecost, so not under the Mosaic Code anymore. And what does he say? 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, he translates it, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What does he say about men having sex with men? And so what he's saying here is Paul is echoing Leviticus, the Mosaic code, and lists men having sex with men along with other wrongdoings as acts of rebels, ungodly, and sinful. Same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Is men having sex with men a part of the bigger sexual morality that is detestable? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. But let's keep reading here dig in just a little bit deeper here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Because I've got three Greek words in here. The men having sex with men is actually two words in the Greek. Neither porneia, which means what? Well, porneia means any sex outside of marriage. Any sexual activity outside of marriage, any sexual desire that's other than God's of desire is porneia It's a huge general word. Adulterers. What about malakoi? We don't have anything in English that comes like that. But if I look this up in the standard Greek lexicon, uh, Bauer, Bauer, Dinker, Art, and Gingrich, it says Malakoi is being passive in a same-sex relationship. And what does God say about that? It's uh, If you stay there, it will take you out of the kingdom of God. How about Arsenikatoi? Again, we don't have anything like that. If I look it up in Bauer, Dinker, Art, and Gingrich, it's going to say A male who engages in sexual activity with a male. Now, if you read Vines, he's going to say we do not know what that word means because it's never used prior to this passage. Never. Paul apparently coins a term and uses it. Well, what does it mean? Well, the thing of it is, if we take this and compare it back to, remember Leviticus 18? I put in the Greek of the Greek Septuagint, the translation of the Hebrew. And there it says men laying with men. And I put in the words here. Now what do you note here from arsenicatoi? Arsen is where? Right there. That's men. Koi is koi. Lay with. What does arsenicatoi mean? Well he's just echoing. He's using the very Greek words of the Greek Bible. Which is the Bible of the Christians. And he's coining a new term. Out of that Old Testament Phrase that's in Leviticus eighteen and twenty, and he coins a brand new word that talks about men having sex with men, and he says that's not okay. So whether it's a passive or the active partner, it's sin. Post Pentecost, but that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. One Corinthians six nine and ten talk about the evil. One Corinthians six eleven talks about the biblical. Narrative, And what is it? Such were some of you. Such are some of you. But, 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 you are what? Washed. But what? You are sanctified, dedicated to God. You are justified, forgiven, and accepted as child of God. Why? Because you brought your brokenness to Jesus. That's the message. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Bring it to Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Similar context where it uses the same words, similar list. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what does Paul say? I'm chief. So what do you do with the sin and brokenness in your life? Bring it to Jesus. Is he going to condemn you? No, he's going to say what you're doing is wrong. I will help. You say, it's not wrong. You reject God's grace. Let's dig a little bit deeper here. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners and washes clean those who come to him. Romans chapter 1. Let's work with this just a little bit more. And think about what it's saying. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Why is God so angry? Why do we see the wrath of God here? How come? Because of what? Because of wickedness. Does God get angry when pastor daddy's Assault their daughters Does God get angry about that? You bet Does God get angry when powerful people Exploit their workers for their own benefit? Absolutely Does God get angry when people lie to each other? Do people, does God get mad when people bully each other? Yes Do I want God to get angry? Do I want God to get angry at those kinds of things? Well not when I'm doing them I want to get mad when you do them Because clearly you're wrong I mean, that's a selfish nonsense statement. Do I want God to be angry? Yes, I do. But I don't. So what do I do? I go to Jesus. And what it's saying there in verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people will excuse, although they knew God. What's it saying? It's saying there is no single human heart anywhere that has not been touched by the grace of God there is no person in any age or any geographic location that has not been touched by the power, the love, the kindness of God this is the testimony of scripture there's nobody that God's aunt. you're not worth it everybody knows God it says here, what's the response all too often they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks, their thinking became futile their foolish hearts were darkened it says for although they claimed to be wise, <laughs> they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, reptiles. Therefore, what does God do? Gives them over to sinful desires of their heart through sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies one another. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. Worship and serve the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So what happens then? Verse 26. Because of this, what? They reject God. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. Because of this, God gave them over. Second time with that horrible phrase. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchange their natural sexual relations for unnatural in the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women God's design and were inflamed with lust for one another men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error so women having sex with women, men having sex with men is the result of kicking God out of your life therefore just they do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God so God gave them over third time a depraved mind, so they ought not do, and they became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. And the list there, oh my gosh. Who? Why? They rejected God's design. They rejected God. So what does it come? About specifically about homosexuality. God, Paul rep- echoes, teaches that all homosexual activity is evidence and consequence of alienation from and rejection of God and his created order. The homosexuality is an evidence of that. Not just men having sex with men, but all homosexual activity. And what he's saying here is approval of homosexuality is one of the symptoms of worshiping creation rather than the creator and falling prey to the power of sin. It's a symptom a rejection of God. Now, I want to speak specifically to one thing that is often, too often happening. Remember Hurricane Katrina? It kind of marked our nation. Where did it come ashore? Yeah, New Orleans. What is the reputation of New Orleans, that great city? That's a sin place. I've been in the French Quarter. i had somebody talk me into going down Bourbon Street in the middle of the afternoon, I thought it might be okay. It was not. I mean, it's Mark for that. John Hagee, big Pentecostal pastor in Texas, said after Katrina, publicly and repeatedly, he said that Katrina was God's way to stop a homosexual parade that would have happened on the Monday following that that's not what this passage says this is not talking about God sending hurricanes to condemn homosexuality, it's just not homosexuality is is a symptom of people kicking God out of their lives people cite Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah and say well here it is, God's pouring out fire and brimstone on homosexual no, no, no it is homosexuality there but the thing there is gang rape and repeated kinds of debauchery in that city. It's not just homosexuality. It's not a man and a man in a long-term, exclusive, monogamous relationship or something like that. This is debauched, horrible evil in Genesis 19. We cannot use that for ordinary homosexual activity. Just can't. He goes on and says, they embody the spiritual condition of those who exchange God's truth for a lie. What is God's truth? Marriage is a man and a woman in lifelong covenant faithful relationship. And those who exchange that truth for a lie, that's a symptom of that having. Homosexuality is emphasized as a graphic rejection of the natural order. Simple fact is, men and women in covenant relationship in marriage with in many, many studies shown to be the most satisfying relationship there is for sexual relation. The thrill of other kinds of sexuality leaves people broken and sad. We deal with it all the time and we need to note that homosexual activity is no worse than any other of the kinds of wicked depravity in the book of Romans it's not, it's one of several but we need to go on there's no chapter break in the Greek text we can't stop at 131 if the people are doing sin we've got to go on to chapter 2 verse 1 where it says this therefore you have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you do same kinds of things. Self, and this is important. Self-righteous condemnation of homosexuality is just as sinful as the homosexual behavior itself. According to Paul, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And those people are singling out homosexual activity for special condemnation stand against God when they do that. This is the word of the Lord. How about Jesus? Matthew Vines argues that well Jesus let's, let's like go to the Bible with the red letter stuff. Because what's the red letter? That's the Jesus talking. Yeah, Paul he's a bigot. Leviticus they're old fashioned they don't know what's going on but Jesus like he understands well what does Jesus say Matthew 19 haven't you read that at the beginning God created made them male and female the gender statement and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh there's a marriage statement quoted from the Old Testament Jesus quotes and confirms the Genesis definition of gender and marriage does he speak to this absolutely he speaks to this is Jesus silent on these issues? Not at all. Not at all. In Matthew 15, Jesus speaks this way. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, and he lists some of them. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality. What is that? Well, that word is porneia. What's that? Any sexual activity outside of marriage. Theft, false testimony, slander. These defile a person. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus quotes or Jesus confirms the judgment that any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage is porneia and defiles a person. Does Jesus speak to this? Absolutely. Does he single out homosexuality? No, but nobody else does either. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is porneia. Jesus himself says. So what do we think about this? We need to know that Jesus does not single out homosexuality as especially sinful, but neither does anybody else. It's one of many sexual sins, and it's important to realize here this attitude of Jesus, which I just love. When Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him as disciples. Now, tax collectors and sinners, they are acknowledged bad guys. When the Pharisees saw this, Pharisees, good guys or bad guys, they're the epitome of goodness, meticulous in their obedience to the Mosaic Code. They keep every detail, even tithing seeds in their cupboard. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked disciples, what did your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Who's the healthy he's talking about? The Pharisees. This proves guys." that sarcasm is eminently biblical. (laughs) It proves it, but use it in the right context in the right way. Because they think they're healthy and his whole point is they're the sickest of all because they reject the grace of God. Go and learn those this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them, but calling them to repentance. Now, there's all kinds of stuff, complexities here, about our relation with, say, gay family members and others like that. And very complex. I don't mean to oversimplify. Jay will explain all that next week in his 35 minutes. Yeah. I just want to conclude here with some basic ideas. First of all, there are only a few texts that speak specifically of homoerotic behavior. And I've gone through, I think, all of them here. Didn't spend as much time on First Timothy 1, but I did all of them. There aren't a lot. But all of them express unqualified disapproval. Every single one of them. Uh, Pornea is the result of a world broken by sin. It is not the way God made us. The argument with people coming, like Matthew Vines, who say, I've got, God made me gay. No, God did not make you gay. That's a result of a broken world, just like all the other kinds of broken, sinful desires. God did not make you that way. That's a broken world thing. It is. Now, I'm just curious. I'd like to know how many of you sitting here are not sinners? Okay, I'd like to see your hands. Okay? Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's ask the other way. I'd like to see hands. How many of you here are sinners? Okay. No, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around. There are about 10 people here who are not sinners. They don't have their hands up, but the rest of us are. What's the point? We're all out of line with God's best. Wesley Hill, who's Washed and waiting is a great book. He is a gay man who has chosen to live a life in a shepherding sexuality according to biblical standards. It's amazing. And this is one of the things he says that just, it touches me really deeply. God's love is a fiercely demanding love that will never let us escape from his purifying and ultimately healing grip which brings the pain of having our deeply ingrained inclinations and desires blocked and confronted by God's demand for purity in the gospel as he helps us to be conformed to the image of his son. Is he speaking to gay desires here? Yeah, but way more than that. I can't read the Bible without it... (coughs) grabbing me and say come on guy that stinks but I'll help and some of those desires I just can't get rid of God doesn't toss me in the trash heap he says let's keep working let's do it we can do better and I'll help that's what Christians say too Jesus serves people and so should we yes absolutely and like God this is so important Like God, we are known for mercy. We are known for forgiveness. We are known for kindness. We are known for grace. Not for judgment and condemnation. We don't condone sin of any kind. Or shouldn't. But we don't condemn it. (laughs) We help for those who receive it. And like Jesus even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many that's the gospel that says we who are sinners in need of help can receive it full and free simply by coming and receive it that's the message I'm going to pray here just a second and the worship team will come forward and we'll sing some powerful songs about breaking chains because that's what we all need there are communion stations on the side if you want to go there and partake, you can do that as we sing worship to God. Let's pray together here. Father, just again, just touched by the tender, powerful relentlessness of your desire and demand that we be changed by your grace. Lord, give us that kind of a heart that seeks you out So you, as you seek us out. Make us responsive to your healing because a community where we can be open to that kind of healing and come with with our needs right up in front. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.